because we're doing a live album. And so, you know, we have to be loud. No, the reason for the mic is we do want to tape it, or record it, I should say. Taping is dated, sorry. So folks at UPC and also some folks that have asked me just individually who have known me over the years teaching and so forth would have an opportunity to listen to some of it. So I appreciate you all being here. And, you know, maybe some folks will wander in. And if they do, the material is back there. Cheryl, if you can just make sure folks are familiar with where the material is. Since I'm fairly new to UPC, my name is Lane Cohey. I've been sitting in here. Cheryl and I have been sitting in for a little while. We've been here since I think we've been attending regularly since October. There's some material Cheryl will get for you in the back there. Have been in the Florida area for, no, it's probably okay. We're probably fine. I've been in the Florida area for five years. We're transplants from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Where those of you who, and I imagine most of you were around during the Mark Bates era, that's where we spent 17 years in Mark's current church, or at least 14, I'm sorry. We spent 17 years in Colorado. Live over in the Indy Atlantic area, Melbourne beaches. So we have a nice drive, nice peaceful drive every morning. But have spent a fair amount of time teaching over the years. And this, of course, is a topic that's near and dear to Cheryl and my heart. Cheryl and I have been married 22 years. This Saturday, 4th of July is our anniversary. And we have three kids, Chase, who will be 14 this fall, Cale, who just turned 11, and Shane, who just turned 9. So we're right in the middle of it. And one of the key things that I would like to communicate real early on is that we're a work in progress. We are folks who are learning as we're going, as I think everyone probably in this room would admit to. I don't really believe that there are necessarily any experts when it comes to parenting. Indiana Jones says we're making it up as we go. Fortunately, we have some good guidance for us. Tom, there's some stuff right there if you want to help yourself. But we're always learning, and we hope to learn through this process. I think it was Augustine who said, as I teach, I learn, and as I learn, I teach. And that's the process that we'd like to go through as well. I think everybody here probably has a consistent basis and worldview and understanding. But for folks that we're recording this for and wherever it may land, I'd like to just at least spend a little bit of time introducing some of the assumptions that we make when we talk about biblical parenting. Because as you know, there are a slew of ideas out there about parenting. There's a ton of stuff. I will confess I've read not that much of it. Hopefully I've read some of the good stuff. But there's a lot of ideas out there and a lot of experiences and quite a lot of people who are very happy to share their experiences given an opportunity. We just went through one of those transitions. You go through the twos, and then you go through the threes, and then we hit the teenage years. And so we had a lot of people telling us how the teenage years were going to be, and we appreciate that. But it isn't necessarily always exactly the way people tell you. But where I'm coming from by point of reference is 
One of the books that I'm using quite a bit, and it's one that Mike Osborne recommended about three months ago when he did a sermon on the topic, is called Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. Many of you may have read the book and are familiar with it. If you go online to Barnes & Noble and you see what the critiques are, there are a lot of positive critiques of the book, and then there are some people who just absolutely hate it. And the reason that they hate it, some has to do with some, I think, misunderstanding of what he says about discipline. But some of it has to do fundamentally with our assumptions that we have about who children are and what the nature of children are when they come into this world. And so it's probably a good thing to just talk about five minutes in terms of where I'm coming from and where I think most of us probably are coming from, just to be sure. I think if you look around and we're honest with ourselves and we look at the world, we see that it's a very confusing thing. It's very ironic, paradoxical in a sense. There's a lot of beauty amongst mankind. You look at art and what we've done. You look at music. You look at theater. You look at drama. You look at the engineering exploits. I come in an engineering background, and what people in our field do is just amazing, just amazing things. You look at the way in which people reach out many times to other people, and there really is a lot of amazing stuff and beauty in this world. But at the same time, of course, there's just a lot of ugliness, and there's a lot of cruelty, a lot of hate, a lot of war, a lot of killing. And when we look, just kind of peel back and look inside ourselves, we see that we're full of envy and strife and competition and looking around and kind of always comparing and just all kinds of ugliness, I think, if we were honest with ourselves. And there's a lot of philosophies out there, but none of them, in my opinion, except the scriptures really take that paradox head on. And there are a lot of people who poo-poo the whole thing about the Garden of Eden and the fall of Adam, and that sounds just kind of like mythology and that sort of thing. But the Bible is very clear about why things are the way they are. And why things are the way they are is because, as a function of the fall, we came into this world broken, in the image of God, but thoroughly broken people. Now, it's very important to balance both, because sometimes we, particularly in the Reformed community, can make the mistake of believing that what total depravity means is that man is a zero, as Francis Schaeffer said, and that's not the case. Man is not a zero. Man is in the image of God, but man is in the image of God corrupted. And the way I like to illustrate it is if you kind of imagine a mirror, you know, a perfect mirror, and then you go and you take a rock and bust the mirror. Okay, and assume that, you know, you threw it hard enough to put a lot of cracks in it, but you didn't throw it hard enough to just blow it apart. And so you can see all the cracks in the mirror, right? You can see what that mirror was originally intended to be, and you can see what it was originally intended to look like, and you can even see that it kind of functions, but it ain't the way that it originally was. And that, in a large part, is what we have when we talk about humanity. That's the way we are. You can see the image that we were built in. You can see what we were created to be. But at the same time, you can also see that we are thoroughly broken people. Okay, and that's the state that we walk into this world. 
And unless we appreciate that, and unless we understand that basic premise, then there's going to be a whole lot of differences of opinion about the way in which we bring our children into this world. Because as cute and as cuddly and as lovely as they are, okay, when they come into this world, and as much as we value them and appreciate them, and as we should, and sometimes maybe see them in light that other people don't always see them in, the bottom line is they have come into this world broken people. Just like us, broken people. But the good thing about it, and the amazing thing is, is that as the scriptures tell us, God had something to say about that. And God chose a path of redemption, and he chose a path of renewal, and he chose a path of restoration and reconciliation. Lots of R words associated with the gospel. And he did something for us that we simply could not do for ourselves. And that is that he gave us a path of redemption. And that path of redemption, of course, is through the person and the work of Christ, because um, the Bible is pretty clear that we simply could not merit or could not do enough to be able to gain the favor of God. You see, most people kind of look in this world, and you, you talk to people, and what do they say? They say, well, there's good and bad in everybody, right? And you just hope enough of the good outweighs the bad. But uh, unfortunately, that's not the way God views it. And sometimes when I have to talk about the holiness of God and I do an attribute study, I say, imagine the perfection or the beauty, I should say, or the radiance of the sun. And imagine that you were just sitting there and the sun was able to kind of be an x-ray of your soul. Okay? And I mean, it is brilliant and it is hot. <laughs> it is indicting. And you just look at what your soul looks like, what your heart looks like. And um, any spot in our heart is a cause for separation from God. That's what the Bible says. If any person has broken the law, one part of the law has broken it all. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We just fall short. And so this path of redemption that Jesus has provided to us is the means by A, in which we may be declared righteous, okay, but equally important that we may have life and life fuller. And life new. And it's not just life eternal, although internal is pretty important. It's life here. And the reason why that is also important is because it has a lot to say with the path, hopefully, that we're trying to take our children down. Okay? And hopefully as we uncover this, we're going to see that the most important thing that we hope to welcome and disciple our children unto is not unto being a great engineer or a great philosopher or a great medical, you know, um, uh, a, a medical doctor or whatever. But we hope to steward them and mentor them and grow them and cultivate them into great disciples of Christ. Okay? Now, that's not to say that their vocation isn't important, because it is, and we're going to talk about that. But... That whole path and that whole journey of the gospel is really pretty fundamental and pretty important. If we believe that, then it has a whole lot to do and a whole lot to say about where we are going to be going and hoping to see God take them as, uh, as we parent them. So I was hoping to kind of at least get us level set. As I said, I think probably most people understand where we're coming from. Most people are aware and very familiar with the problem of sin and with the redemption and the gospel and so on and so forth. But it's pretty important because it's going to have a whole lot to say with what the Bible has to say about parenting. 
Any questions so far? Can we go to the next chart, chart two? Thank you. So we're going to talk for a little while. Feel free to jump in. If you don't jump in, I'll talk. And I'll talk until about 50 past. And then what I'd like to do is open the floor for dialogue. What I hope to do in this class, and the outline is here, is really talk about principles of parenting and go through the principles and then have about 15 or 20 minutes, hopefully, at the end to ask specific questions. For example, if there are people who are struggling with, you know, what age, you know, what's the biblical issue about spanking or when should I or shouldn't I or forms of education, you know, I'm thinking about homeschooling or I'm thinking about, you know, what's the issues with schooling and those kinds of questions. Or, you know, what should curfews be or dating or, you know, the specific kinds of things. We can talk about those because in many ways I'll be reaching out to people who have a lot of experience and we can talk about it in kind of a more group form. Because we're all collectively in this together or will be, perhaps, in this together. I'm sorry if we're short on the handouts. I'll make sure that we have a few more next time. I apologize. I didn't know how large or small the class would be. So if you didn't get a handout this time, I'll make sure that if you come back next time, you get one. How's that for motivation? So lesson one, if you got a course overview, we'll talk about a few things today. We'll talk about one size doesn't fit all, and that's pretty important. We'll talk about what God's goal in your call is and the heart of the matter or the matter of the heart. And then we've got lesson two where we talk about the marriage and about motivations, about focusing our children at the target, principles of authority and obedience. Lesson three, we'll talk about studying your child, which I think is a huge thing, understanding their love languages and asking what it is that drives them and what it is that drives you, which is pretty fundamental to this whole parenting thing. We're going to talk about biblical communication, talk about conveying the gift of the blessing. I'm going to steal a little bit from Smalley and Trent's book, The Gift of the Blessing, if anyone has ever read that book. And then we're going to talk about developing a child of character, instilling a heart of discipline and helping them find their purpose. And I'm really trying to be very age generic here. I know there's all people with all different walks of life. There's probably folks here who don't have children. I'm thinking about, you know, what's it going to be like when we do. Folks who have young children, folks who have children a lot older than we do, than Cheryl and I do. And I'm really trying to hit biblical principles that no matter where you are, at what station of life that you're in, these are things that are going to serve us very well as we go forth in this whole journey together. In Lesson 6, we'll do some spillover and anything that I just grossly missed, you know, we can hit at that time. So that's kind of an overview. Any questions on the course outline? Well, let's go to the next chart. If anyone desires to be a godly parent, you desire a noble task. Now, that's actually said in 1 Timothy, if I'm not mistaken, about overseers or elders. But I think I can cheat and say it's probably true for parents as well. And you know what I'm talking about, okay? You desire a noble task. You have a high calling. You are called to be a nurturer, a teacher, a counselor, an encourager, a sacrificer, a disciplinarian, a guide, a provider, a coach, a leader, a lover, an admonisher, a mentor, and all kinds of other stuff, 
right, you've got a pretty heavy, we have a pretty heavy task, job description as parents, right? And raise your hand if you've not been intimidated by the job description from time to time. It's pretty intimidating, right? But it's a noble calling. It is a calling that is highly worthwhile, okay? Because at the end of the day, there is no, I would say, no individual or individuals that we will touch in our lives closer to us than our children, right? I mean, no one, hopefully, that sees more of us. No one, hopefully, save our spouse that our character will rub off more on, God willing. And so it is a pretty important thing. But the next chart says, moreover, above all, you are or you will be called to be a discipler, a shepherd, and a steward of the children that God has entrusted to you. Okay, and I use the word steward. I threw that one in there because we often think about stewardship in context of what? Money, right? We throw money, and that's right, or time, or resources, okay? But I would also invite you to think about stewarding in the context of parenting. Our children have been given to us for a, what seems at the beginning a long time and seems at the end a what? Pretty short time, at least under our roof, because, and they've been entrusted to us for us to be able to shepherd them. And that requires a lot of perseverance, a lot of character, and a lot of reliance on God, I think. But fortunately, next chart, there's a lot of help out there. And you all, you know, there's a plethora of voices, as I said. And the question is, whose voices are you going to listen to? Okay. And most of us, I think, would say that, I'm sorry, not them. No growing up Hogan. But I think that what we would say is that we would listen to the Bible. But as Mike counseled, and I think really well a couple of weeks ago, when we open the Bible, the pages of the Bible, I would invite you to think about not just running to, you know, Ephesians 6.1 or something, or 5.1, I'm sorry, that says, that talks about children honoring their parents, or find, you know, do a quick word search and find every word that says children or parents. What I would invite you to do, as you consider being parents, and as Cheryl and I consider being parents, is ask yourself the question, how does our Heavenly Father parent us? How does our Heavenly Father parent us? Because God is actually, in His attributes, in the way in which He loves us, in the way in which He engages us, the way in which He disciplines us, the way in which He guides us and nurtures us, He is actually the representative of the perfect parent. And as I said a moment ago, as we enter into this whole issue of dealing with our brokenness and what redemption means, the path through Jesus Christ leads us to being adopted as children into the household of faith. And we have a parent, a perfect parent. And that perfect parent is not them, but the person of God Himself through the work of Christ. And it is the grace in which we have now access through faith. 
And so even if our, our relationships with our parents were not necessarily wonderful, some were, probably some weren't, even if we didn't necessarily see a great role model in our household, some were, perhaps maybe some weren't, think about the way in which God has parented you. Okay, if you are a child of Christ, if you are adopted into the family, think about how God has dealt with you. And read how God deals with his children, the nation Israel, the covenant nation, individuals like David and the prophets and through the person of Jesus, even on, on this earth. And that will have a whole lot to say about how we also should parent. Maybe more than just discrete biblical you know, parenting verses. So seriously, next chart. I want to encourage us to think about um, what I call one size does not fit all. Now, I'm not a horticulturalist. I have no green thumb, and I am not a good gardener, okay, even in Florida. Okay, I had an excuse when we were in Colorado because things don't grow in Colorado so well, but even in Florida, thank God for Cheryl because she keeps everything going, and I just have to do the, the, you know, the, the hard cutting and chainsawing and stuff like that. But as I thought about this whole thing about one size does not fit all and parenting, I thought about the best example, honestly, the best um, representation or illustration is that of a, a gardener or someone who cares for a vineyard. Um, and imagine that garden was under your care. And imagine you knew um, or I knew what we were doing. And you would probably realize that there are certain things, certain principles that you would bring to the table that you would do for all of those vast array of plants and flowers and things that are in the garden. Okay? And uh, you would probably make sure that there was adequate sunlight and there was, there was adequate water and there was adequate nu nutrients and blah, 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 blah. But um, then, if, if I knew anything, I'd give you an example. I imagine that as you really got real acquainted with that garden, you would see that there's special things that need to be ha need to happen for every one of those flower types, and above all above that, there are special things that would have to be ha happen for each one of those individual flowers. I was watching um, an old episode of, of TNG, uh, Star Trek: Next Generation. Um, for those of you who remember that, those those on the Sci-Fi Channel. And it was the one after Picard becomes a Borg, and he go, has, and he's dealing with it, and he goes back, and um, and he visits home, and his brother is, is is there, and he's the vineyard, you know, his brother took care of the land, and Picard went out to to, to the stars, and he goes out in vineyard, he goes out to the vineyard to see his brother who doesn't like him very much, and um, he he says, you know, he's kind of gruff with him, and he he says, you run on home or whatever, I'll meet you there, I have this one vine that I need to take care of. And he's just looking at this one discreet vine in this whole vineyard, right? And that's my point. Because if you go to the next chart, what I'm trying to communicate is one size does not fit all. Um, there are biblical principles, and we will examine them to show us God's path as parents. Okay? There are wise people some wiser than most or, and others who have parented every stage along the way who can give us sound advice. And that's good. Okay? And we need to take advantage of that. But I'd like to foot stomp here. I won't. But no one, no one 
besides you has ever parented your children. No one. Okay? And biblical parenting is not simply reduced to a formula or to a, a rule set. And I really, you know, if I've learned anything, okay, and it ain't much, but if I've learned anything, it's that. You cannot reduce biblical parenting to a rule set. There are biblical principles. There are lots of good examples for us to follow. But every single parenting relationship, even within the family, is unique. Yes, no? Okay? And, you know, for those of us who have multiple kids, you wonder how they came from the same gene pool, right? You know what I'm talking about. They're so different. And you look at the differences in their personalities and the way in which they relate to you and how you relate to them, and then compounded upon the fact that depending on how they came out, the sequence, number one, two, three, four, five, et cetera, that has a lot to do with it. Okay? What the older sibling is like compared to the middle sibling and the younger siblings or the middle siblings and so forth, and that whole dynamic. And it is just different for every single vineyard. And um, the reason why I want to encourage us to remember that is because in the midst of sometimes being intimidated and looking at how other people do it and hearing lots of advice, some of it good, some of it not, there is a temptation, next chart please, to um, look at other kids and say, um, well, their girls are so nice and well-behaved, they must have it all together as parents. Have you ever done that? looked at somebody else's kids up there, and they said, oh, they just seem like such good kids. Those parents must know the formula. If, they, if I had the formula that they have, then my kids would look like theirs, right? Or, conversely, their kids are so spiritually mature, okay? They're just, they're all over the place, you know, drooling all over and, you know, and I mean, just, they're just... You know, very reckless. I'm sure they don't do family worship the way we do. Okay? And both of those perspectives are killer perspectives. Because, um, and you could probably share some stories. I'll just share one about one friend of ours. We used to teach in Colorado Springs. We used to teach a college and career study. And we had a, uh, a once in a while, we'd have some folks um, ask if their high school kids could join us. Um, they were usually folks that were a little disillusioned with the youth group or something like that, and so they would come. And, and there's this one girl that really stood out. She was homeschooled, really conscientious parents, very, very attentive to the whole parenting thing. And um, she was very uh, uh, well-behaved, just a real smart girl, went on, graduated, you know, uh, uh, went to a, a good uh, private school, just the model of everything that you would expect the kid to be. And did very well in school, uh, summa cum laude, blah, 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 and was on her way to being married to a guy who was going to go work in Washington, D.C. as a staffer. And, and so, you know, the, the, the horizon seemed bright. But things didn't work out between them, so she came back to Colorado Springs and was kind of on the rebound and got pregnant with um, a fellow employee at a drugstore. And um, that was just devastating to the parents because they had done everything right, right? They had done everything right. How could this happen? 
How could this be? I mean, we homeschooled our child. We got them into the right schools. We were very conscientious. We made sure they were at Lane and Cheryl's Bible study. <laughs> Maybe that was a mistake. I don't know. But, but you, you know, I mean, we tried so hard. Well, the good news about this thing is, is that although it was a tough period, God has thoroughly redeemed that relationship. They're married. They have three children. We've lost a little bit of touch. But it's a good news story as God redeems a lot of those kinds of things where you think, you know, the world's falling in and how could this and everything's gone wrong. And God is a God of great redemption and great second chances. But what I'm trying to con- convey is, is that you cannot assume a formula. Okay, like you cannot assume if X equals 2, then Y equals 4, you know. You can't just assume that. Because as one person said one time to me, a, a, a pastor, he said, um, Lane, we are um, we, we we live in an age of so much good material, okay. And we lived in Colorado Springs, home of focus on the family, and so on and so forth. Lots of good material out there. He said, but the one thing sometimes that we can be duped into thinking is is that parenting is just a mechanical formula where if you put a dollar twenty-five in the Coke machine, the Coke comes out. He said, but what's going on is is that you have all kinds of dynamics, you your will the child's will, there's a full interaction there. You're dealing with not a Coke bottle, but a very a living dynamic with different DNA and so on and so forth, and all those things have to be considered. So what am I saying? Okay, I'm not saying there's no use for biblical parenting at all. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that there's no use for principles. What I am saying is, is that we need to avoid the one-size-fits-all and the assumption that if you do X, then Y is going to come out because it just ain't that simple, right? Any questions so far? X equals 2, Y equals 4. I can't do any more than the function at, you know, X squared, so, you know. It was a long time ago from engineering school, sorry. Any questions or comments so far? Okay. I'm going to speed up just a little bit, um, just in the interest of time, but I I really wanted to hit that. And um, I said I was going to try to break in the middle and do five minutes, but I just may give a homework assignment if that's okay, because I'm going to talk about mission statements just for a moment. And um, I'm I'm moving into God's goal in your call. Um, Mission statements... You know, you're familiar with them. I put one from my corporation up there. I put one, our mission statement for UPC up there. Um, they're nice, pithy statements that hopefully, hopefully communicate what we're supposed to be about, why we're doing what we're doing. And so Harris is best-in-class global provider of mission-critical assured comm systems and services. So it tells it what it is and the government commercial customers and advanced technology, application knowledge, blah, blah, blah. UPC, Community of Grace, making a difference in the lives of people in East Orlando and around the world by leading them to know God, to grow together, and to serve others. My question, the next chart is, what is God's mission statement for you as a parent? Now, that saying may seem really geeky and kind of business, you know, plain, you're bringing MBA stuff into the classroom, you really have to do this. But I would ask you, and I, we were, I was going to ask you to, to spend five minutes just writing this down, but this is a homework assignment, um, if, if you don't mind. Write it down. Take the time to write down a short, concise mission statement for yourself as a parent. You don't have to call it a mission statement if you don't want to. That just may be bizarre. And here's why. 
Because a lot of times, as weird as it may seem, we just fall into this whole thing of parenting. Okay? It's the next logical thing that you do, right? You get married, you have kids. Okay? And um, once you have kids, it's just, you know, I mean, it's just life is crazy, right? So, I mean, who has time to think about the big picture? Right? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this in particularly in the context of being believers and followers of Christ? Can we write down a sentence or two as it summarizes what we're really trying to do here? And the reason that I thought that this was interesting is Cheryl and I were married eight years before we had our first kid. And, um, and uh, there was a long time where we didn't know nor did we have a particular passion for having children. Okay, we didn't know that we were going to have children, and we didn't particularly know that, quote-unquote, we wanted them. Okay? And it was particularly because we would go to parties and so on and so forth, and Cheryl's co-workers and sometimes people at church, unfortunately, say, oh, thank God, we got away from the kids for a night. You know I mean? And we were thinking, well, if it's that fun, <laughs> maybe we can just, you know, stop the bleeding right now. You know I mean? And... Um, and, and, and so we, we thought about this, and it was actually one study um, where uh, I was studying the book of Malachi, and it talked about God's purpose, or one of his purposes for marriage. And you remember Malachi is the one where he says, I hate divorce and keeping uh, your, your covenant love. And he says, so that you would produce godly offspring. And I started thinking about God's plan, his covenant plan. I didn't much about covenant stuff in those days. God's covenant plan is to use our children as the next generation of the messengers and dispensers of the gospel of grace and to be people who do things excellently unto him. Okay? And so I started thinking, well, maybe this is bigger than just me and Cheryl. Maybe we have to forego some of that stuff. Maybe, you know, it is going to be painful from time to time. But maybe there is a big plan here, and I think I need to understand what that plan is. And that's where Cheryl and I really got serious about investigating God's will for us as parents. But it took a while. Sometimes we don't always ask ourselves the question, as bizarre as that sounds, right? Why are we doing this? So could you take five or ten minutes this week and, if you're so bold, make a date night or even if it's just hanging out in the patio after the kids are, you know, with your spouse and compare your mission statements. What did we come up here for? As we understand the scriptures and what that has to do, what is our charter as a parent? Okay? And if it helps, let me know. And if it doesn't, I won't do it next time. So that's fine. This is a work in progress, too. Um, questions on this one? Next chart. Um, well, here's the heart of the matter. And now I'm going to start kind of getting out of the, you know, why are we doing this sort of thing and, and what's this all about and to the whole heart of how we begin to engage kids. And if you're familiar with Tripp's book, you know, Shepherding a Child's Heart, you know he makes a big deal about the heart of the matter. You've heard the expression of the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Okay. And... Um, and he makes a very good point, and I've written it down. He says, parents often get sidetracked with behavior. Have you ever fall into this trap? 
Your goal in discipline is to change behavior. It's easy to understand why this happens. The thing that alerts you to a child's need for correction is his behavior. Behavior irritates and thus calls attention to itself. Behavior becomes your focus. That's easy, right, because behavior is what we see. What's the problem? Next chart, he asks. The problem is this. Your child's needs are much more profound than his aberrant behavior. Remember, his behavior does not just spring forth uncaused. His behavior, the things he says and does, reflects his heart. If you are really to help him, you must be concerned with the attitudes of his heart that drives his behavior. Now, here's where the function comes in, the f of x equals y geeky stuff, the, you know. The behavior is a product of the heart. Okay? The behavior is what we see, but the heart's what we don't see, and the heart is what's driving the behavior. And if we really want to be about this parenting thing as biblical parents, we will recognize the behavior, but then, as Mike says, we will look for the sin behind the sin or the beauty behind the beauty, and we will focus as best as we can on that invisible thing called the heart. Now, I'm not making this up, I don't think. Next chart says, there, the heart, by the way, is used, I think, about over a thousand times in the scripture. And it ain't talking about, you know, this thing in here. It's talking about the heart as that invisible, um, um, that, that intangible, that immediate thing that um, basically governs the will of man. Lots of times people say, well, the heart is where the emotions live and the mind is where the, you know, the brain lives and my heart wants to go here, but my mind says, well, you know, that's not entirely true. The heart has a lot of moral compass. It is the center of the will of man. Okay? And Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 12, the good man brings forth good things from the good stored up in him. The evil man brings forth evil from the good evil stored up with him. He says in Matthew 15, out of the mouth comes uh, from out of the mouth comes things from the heart these are the things that make a man unclean notice these are moral things not just emotional things not just passions moral things evil thoughts murder adultery sexual immorality theft false testimony and slander that comes from the heart okay so the behavior is the manifestation jesus says of what's going on in the heart and Hebrews 4.12 goes on to say God is very important. In fact, the word of God penetrates and divides and gets right down to the heart of the matter, which is the matter of the heart. So if we want to be about parenting, we need to be focused not so much on the behavior or not willing to stop at the behavior, but zero in on what's going on in the heart. For example... You've got Johnny and Joey, and they're fighting over a truck. Okay, Johnny's grabbing the truck, and Joey's grabbing the truck, and they're fighting over his mind. I had it first, da, da 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 you know. You've all seen it, right? We've all been there or lived it. So what do we do? Who had it first, right? Okay, Johnny, who had it first? Okay, Joey, share with your brother. Okay, that is kind of the way in which we focus on the behavior issue, Right? Okay, well, there's something to be said for that. It's not bad. We need to learn how to share. We need to remember who had it first. We need to deal with principles of justice. But the heart of the matter is, is that you've got two people who are grabbing. They're grabbing, right? Now, 
What's going to happen unless those hard issues are dealt with? We are just going to grow up grabbing in more sophisticated ways, right? We, we see this in ourselves. We just become better at it. We don't grab it out of our coworkers' hands. We just end around them, right? We say something so on, you know, that kind of diminishes the coworker, so we're a little bit more suave about it, but we still have the same issue. We're grabbing for the toy because the heart never changed. So the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, and we're going to talk a lot about how to investigate, okay, the, ch the, the child's heart. But let me just lead us into saying, if you're never here again, ask questions. Joey, what's going on in your heart right now? Now, Joey, may, blah, 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 you know, I mean, you may not, you may not be at the point where Joey can really articulate what's going on in their heart. What are you, what are you saying? You know, ask the question, Joey. What's happening in your heart right now? Joey, why are you doing what you're doing? Force them to begin to ask themselves what's happening here because it's something that we're constantly going to have to be doing all of our lives. Um, and we'll spend a lot of time in this. Okay, I'm just an intro. But, next chart. One thing that we can tend to forget are there are at least two hearts involved in the equation. There's their heart, next keystroke, and there's our heart. And then there's siblings' hearts and our spouses' hearts and all this sort of thing, which we, you know, there's a lot of hearts involved. Okay? We have to zero in on the heart of the matter, but we need to also remember one other thing, and that is our heart has a whole heck of a lot to do with this whole parenting of poison too, right? What's our heart condition? Why are we doing what we're doing? Are we just disciplining in Johnny and Joey so that just, just put the toys away and get it so I can go and get some sleep? You know, I, we've been there, right? I mean, that's, I can, I can sympathize with it. Just leave me alone and give me some me time. Okay? I don't really care about getting underneath of it. I just want them to, to shut up. Right? So, what's our heart in that whole thing? Okay, and I know the fati I know fatigue, and, and I know all that. I'm very sympathetic. But what what what's our heart in that condition? In uh, Smalley's book, Gary Smalley's book, um, the um, the key to your child's heart. Next chart. He identifies 84 ways we can offend our children. Um, I will print this out for you. Um, maybe next time or for sure during the class, just so that you can look over them. If you've ever seen this list, it is a daunting list. And it is a very applicable list to the way in which we look at ourselves, probably our experience, you know, things that have happened to us as we were reared, things that we've seen ourselves do, things that we see parents do in the airport, right? I mean, just things like, punishing me for something in which I've already been punished or, you know, not being considered a thinking, feeling person, teasing excessively, not being praised and appreciated, getting my hopes up to do something as a family and not following through, being disciplined in harshness and anger, being inconsistent, being taken for granted, not spending time together, never telling me thank you. Um, next chart, misusing brute force, um, not being interested in who I am, Sensing a difference between what is said with uh, with with the uh, mouth and what is said through facial expressions, i.e., nonverbal, sarcastic remarks being made about me, 
punishing me severely for something that I didn't do, showing favoritism towards my brother or my sister, not feeling like I'm special to them. If it's so important for me to have parents let me know, even in small ways, so that I'm special. This list will break your heart. Because, you know, it's stuff we've lived, right? We've been there. I mean, because there ain't no perfect parents, so our parents did a little bit of this, and we've done some of this too. Okay? There, there is one perfect parent, I'm sorry, but you know what I mean, human parents. The list goes on. You know, next chart, not trusting me, not having time for me, seeing my parents spend a lot of money on their pleasures, but when they, I want something, they don't have enough money. Um, making me feel like I hadn't tried to improve at something that I really had. Now, this is a good list to look at, okay? And by the way, you can just go type in small, the 84 ways we can offend our children, Google it, and it'll come right up. I actually didn't hand jam all this onto a chart. I just copied it. But my final chart is, um, is how many of these things would be addressed if we lived this passage. Galatians 5, 22, 23, you know it, most of you, I'm sure. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Go back to that 84 list if you want to and see if there's one of those that the fruit of the Spirit doesn't cover in some way, shape, or form. But what am I driving at? What I'm poking at is that... Um, these are hard issues. This is where love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, joy, gentleness, self-control live in our hearts. And as we bring our hearts into the equation, as well as shepherding the child's hearts, and we're really focused on God every single day, grant in me not the fruit I have myself, but the fruit that comes from you, through a reliance that I cannot have on myself, but a reliance that I have on you, that I would demonstrate and manifest love more increasingly, more abundantly, joy to my children, even when I'm tired and worn out, peace, even when situations are stressful, patience, when I just want to tear my hair out because they're just driving me crazy, you know, kindness, when I don't feel like being kind, good, when there is no real reason for me to be good, faithfulness, when, you know, I just have no reason to be faithful. I mean, I just, you know, it just, they haven't been faithful to me. Gentleness and self-control. Lots of those 84 offenses begin to fall by the wayside. See, the 84 offenses are behavior. Just like Johnny pulling on the truck with Joey. Our heart has a whole lot to, to do with the equation. So look at the 84, but then don't focus on the 84. <laughs> focus on something like Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Pray through it. Pray with your spouse. With, uh, with, your, with your spouse, pray with your children. Okay? And then, if you never ever come again, we will all screw it up, right? Every single day. We will make a mistake. We will hurt our children. We may offend them in one of those 84 ways. And when we realize it, we go to them and say, Johnny, you know, I just failed to say thank you for the fact that you did an awesome job mowing the lawn this week. Good job. I'm sorry I didn't thank you earlier. 
And, um, I, you know, I ask your forgiveness for that. I should have appreciated that faster. Okay? Mission accomplished. Because it is a household of grace. Okay, let's stop here. I've run over my time. I apologize. Um, we probably have 12 minutes or so just to talk. Questions that this is evoked, questions that, you know, you're thinking about, issues you're thinking about or praying about, about this whole parenting journey. We'll do it collectively. If I can't answer it, Vic will because he's been through, been through the trenches.